Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Hey, Jean, thank you so much for stopping by and talking to us about your career and how you've got in to be the CMO of a company called Lola.com. Maybe you could tell us a little bit more about Lola.com. I know it's a mouthful, isn't it, Randy? I know. I, I, feel like I want to give it just like I, <laughs> Yeah, it's a, you, you got to say the dot com, and there's a logic to this, Randy. It's that there is a there's a lot of Lolas in the world, and for us, Lola that was founded by Paul English, who also founded Kayak. Lola, the L O is for longitude, the L A is for latitude, and Lola dot com. We actually bought the domain itself about four years ago from a now defunct clothing brand, but we're up a bunch of uh, up against a bunch of other Lolas. Uh, the number one Lola that we're kind of up against is a b2c product it's a feminine products company and if you were if you just type in lola they have a tendency to come up number one in the search of findings uh, on the google machine so i i like to use lola.com so people know to go to us at the business to business travel software platform that will help you save money yeah. and give you transparency so there's a reason randy <laughs> There you go. No, I like, first of all, if you own a four letter domain, you should talk about the fact that you own the dot com. Yeah. It's just too bad that it previously wasn't a whole bunch of people who had to travel versus buy women's clothes. But there you go. Uh, but so be it. You, you're, you are where you are now. Maybe you can give us some, some perspective to how big your team is, what type of buying cycle that you deal with, a little, a little bit of context, the type of CMO that you need to be today. Well, in this in this particular environment, it's a relatively new technology. The company Lola started out as a B2C product, and it only pivoted to B2B when Mike Volpe, a lot of people know Mike Volpe in the space. He used to be a CMO at HubSpot. He was at Cyber Reason. He's an investor in a lot of different startups. He's the CEO here at Lola.com. And when he joined about, I'm going to say, 18 months ago, he did a pivot to B2B, and actually started charging for the product. What a concept. And then he started, so our first customers were actually paying customers were in August, 2018. And we started going through the renewal process and upgrades and that sort of thing. And the product itself has, has seen a number of updates, uh, integrations with large partners. Plus what you get with our lightweight platform is something that you don't get with other old school travel platforms, which everybody on this uh, listening to this podcast has been had to deal with over the years. We have a, a industry partner, American Express Global Business Travel, that buys billions and billions dollars worth of travel. And we're able to use our buying capabilities with theirs to be able to offer good prices on hotels and cars and flights. Plus we've got the stamp of approval with a lot of integrations like Expensify. So it's, gotcha. a, it's a lot of fun. A lot of moving pieces, a lot of integrations yes. and partners. So partner yes. marketing, well, maybe we'll come back to partner marketing. There you go. The second half of the show, when we think about, you know, buyer journey and all the different, different angles we have to come from. But I'm curious, before we kind of go back to the beginning of your career, I mean, your decision to join Lola. And as CMO, I guess, I assume you're reporting into the CEO. 
reporting into an ex-CMO, what, what was that like or what has that been like? I mean, I know Mike well. He's, he's a brilliant guy and I know you're big on learning. So was, it, was that a big part of the motivation or is that scary? Well, I worked for Mike when I was at HubSpot. So I worked for him for three years. And what I like about Mike is that he doesn't bug you. He hires you, he gives you, tells you what he wants you to do, and you go do it. And if you have too many meetings with him, then you know that things aren't going that well. <laughs> and and, and uh, if you don't have a lot of meetings with him, he's fine. And so I find that it's easy to work for him, and I trust him implicitly. And I've worked for a number of CEOs, as many people have over the years. This is my sixth CMO gig. And I think over the years, there's CEOs that you trust and ones that you don't trust so much. So Volpe is definitely one that I trust implicitly. So your career is is amazing, first of all. Some of the companies you've been with, I mean, HubSpot, you mentioned there. Smart Bear is another company that I know you and I talked to, talk to each other while you're at. Rather than go all the way back to the beginning of the <laughs> The beginning of time. Um, <laughs> Because, you know, some of the guests that we've had on here, they're, you know, one CMO gig in or a couple in and, and, you know, figuring out how to pick the winners time and time again. What is your recipe for finding the company that you want to go be a CMO at today? Oh, that's a good question, Randy. I've made a lot of mistakes. Um, there's one company that I went to work for that I realized I had made a massive mistake on day two that what I had been told was in fact not what the company was. Some of it is knowing the people, being able to work for people that you've worked before. So if you, I mean, there's one CEO I've worked for in two different companies. It was at Smart Bear and at Ipswich. I knew how to work with him. A lot of people struggled with that and I knew what I was getting or getting myself into. So you knew like how he operated and that's important. You know, again, it gets back down to that trust component. But I think one of the things that I look for is the team. I really want to be able to talk to as many possible team members as possible during the interview process. And the other one is, what can I learn from going to this particular organization? What will be my takeaways? And as far as my team is concerned, how can I make them so that they'll be more valuable in the market going forward? I can safely say that in my career, I've, I've actually been able to mentor a number of CMOs, people that have become CMOs, a lot of VPs of marketing, a lot of directors of marketing. And those are people that even started as interns for me. And I kind of look at it as my legacy, if you will, that I'm me and I like to do things, but I like to teach. I like to coach. I like to help people uh, be better at everything that they're doing. And as a, as a result, I want them to be the best that they can be. I love that. I, I want to go back. I, I want to come to, there were two big parts of, of that. Answer. Yeah. The, the second part was all about teaching people and creating an environment and culture, I guess, of, of learning. I want to come back to that. But mm -hmm. at the beginning, you hit on something really important, which was speaking to as many people from the team as possible. And, and I'm curious when you describe that, because going in as a CMO, 
is different than say going in as a VP of marketing or a director of marketing or a manager. You know, in those cases, you want to talk to the people who will be your peers. When you do that, that discovery on your end, how much of that is spent talking to the existing marketing team versus the executive team? How do you form your decision between those two different teams? That's, that's an excellent question, Randy. I think when I look at the executive team and I can tell you I've had a lot of interviews and I've had offers for other CMO roles in other companies. And for example, I didn't want to report to three co-CEOs because I thought that was just a recipe for disaster. Yay, you were all the founders, but (laughs) to have a three-headed hydra in trying to understand what is being done. And as you're painfully aware, in every every organization, everyone's a marketer. Um, everyone from the CFO telling you that they don't like the color green or whatever it is, or you should be doing it this way. But I, th- I think that the thing that I look for is, do you trust me to do my job? Am I going to be able to do my job well enough to be able to move the company forward. Every CMO, it comes in at a different place in the company. I prefer a high growth environment, but I've been put into organizations which have tried to integrate five companies that have been acquired by a PE firm. And you're trying to like, what's the story? How do you cross sell? How do you upsell? And that's a different solution than a company that's been around for 27 years that is an on-premises software company that is only update that can't update anything through the cloud and it has you know 98 different versions of a product and having different conversations so there's your every company is different we're not all talking SaaS. we're not all talking uh, specific kinds of software sometimes i look at the buyers and i've spent a lot of time talking to it buyers naturally i have i prefer talking to marketers because they have an innate sense of um adventure and are always looking for something to be something new something that's going to make them better it people on the other hand don't like marketers that much engineers <laughs> don't like marketers that much and it's 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 mostly because marketers haven't done a good job of being able to articulate the the story or marketers haven't given themselves a chance to be able to get to know the engineers or the IT people correctly or in a way that uh, you can have a good conversation so you did a good job there of kind of leading me back to the <laughs> second part of your of, of, of the goal to always be learning and it's it's interesting you talk about enjoying selling to marketers. I mean, some people crave that. Some people stay far away of it. As I always say, the the challenge of selling to marketers is they're really smart. And the way I often put it is you just have to be prepared because if if they don't think you can keep up in a conversation, they don't want to talk to you. If they think they can learn from you, then they're happy to jump on a call, do a discovery, see a demo, and and I know that you said, you know, being in an, an environment of learning and learning yourself is so important. How do you rank when you can learn something new? Is it learning about the industry that's important to you or is it learning about how to approach a market? Well, those are 
the flip side of the same coin. You know, we all have different personas that we're pursuing and different stages of the buying cycle. You, you asked about the Lola buying cycle. Well, we have several personas. The people that are actually buying the product are maybe going from unmanaged or spreadsheets of some sort and keeping track of the expenses. In every organization, T&E is the second line item in terms of cost right after payroll. And it's rarely managed and there's no real visibility in the finance team is the one that with policy is like forced to slap people on the wrist. And that finance persona rarely travels. They're not on the road very often. Maybe they go to one conference a year, but they don't really like to travel. They see things in black and white. The other persona is the executive assistant or the office manager or the travel manager in an organization that is doing all the travel for somebody. And they're usually their hair is on fire and they don't, they, they could be a champion, but they don't have the approval authority. The third persona would be the actual business traveler. And that business traveler is looking for ways to save time and make sure that they have a safety net when they're on the road. Well, I can focus my content and I can focus my efforts on the business traveler, but they're the user and we want the product to make it simple and great for them so they have a good user experience. We want the admin or the travel manager to be able to recognize that their lives have, they've just gotten back their weekends or they, they realize they're not going to get a call at three o'clock in the morning from somebody saying, I'm stuck in Omaha. And the finance people were trying to show them that they can minimize their pain uh, with transparency and the ability to see what's happening in T&E in real time. I'm sure you've worked at companies where somebody has turned in their expense sheets, you know, six months late. And yeah. while in many organizations, it's not material in terms of the finances of the company, but there's nothing that's going to irk a finance leader more than getting six months worth of expenses that were never accrued for in any way, shape or form and have to be taken care of right away. So we have different personas. We have different buying people. So I'm, I'm looking at it that I travel on business travel. So I, I understand the pain and anxiety that goes along with it, but I also understand how important it is to the finance team. So what I would say to you, Randy, for me, a good marketer has a great relationship with their finance leader. And the reason they have a great relationship is they don't go over budget. They're able to anticipate if they do go over budget or they'll be able to pre-plan or be able to take care of their finance obligations in any organization. And as a CMO, I look at it that you need to know where your money is being sent. You need spent. You need to remove all the leakages, the tech stack that nobody is using. You need to figure out how you're going to get the best ROI out of the spend that you have because there's no department in any company that spends more than marketing. And there's no department that has a larger variable expense than marketing. And if your CFO or your finance leader doesn't believe that you have control over your expenses or the way that you're dealing with your budget, they're not going to trust you if they, if you wanted a hundred thousand dollars and you went to your CFO and you said, if you give me a hundred thousand dollar in five bucks out, how many marketers can say that they have that relationship of trust that would allow the finance leader to be able to say, I'll give you a hundred because I know you'll get me back 500. Absolutely. No, that's, that's a great way to put it. And, and back to, to where we started on this, this, <laughs> this, I, no, this idea of, of where do you learn, right? Where do you, you know, and, and it sounds like for you, it's, 
it's learning from that team, learning about more efficient ways to go to market. And, and ironically now, and you're, you're in a company that's all about that cost center or controlling yes. cost centers, which is definitely interesting. Before we, I, I want to go back after our break. <laughs> we to, keep going back. <laughs> I know. We, we go in circles sometimes on this show, but, but we ultimately get to an end point. But I want to hit on one more aspect about your career that I find really interesting. And, and then we'll go back after the break to the personas and how you're, you're trying to manage so many different buyers. Because that was an interesting piece there too. But one of the things in, in your career that, that I really respect that you make time for is, is a lot of advisory work. And I'm, I'm wondering how you, A, squeeze that in and B, you know, other than giving back to the community, how has that helped, do you think, pro- propel your career? I like learning new things. And every time that I've been able to be on an advisory board, it's sort of like when you're in grad school and you're uh, doing all the customer overviews and you're learning about case studies. And we have similar problems, but you're coming at it from a slightly different angle. And I think I have the benefit of being able to look at things a little more holistically. I can look at them higher up. I can understand the implications of organizational dynamics. I can understand the implications of budget. I can understand the implications of what you're trying to do from a campaign, your personas, your marketing. And being able to have that kind of view, your what you're trying to do as an organization is always fascinating to me. And just getting people, marketing people that have never been forced to align themselves with with a sales organization, being able to teach them the things that you need to do in order to grow your business, grow yourself individually, I just find very, very interesting. That's great. Now that's that's amazing. And just advice for people: how how many advisory roles do you think you can possibly take on at one point while still being in a CMO role? Like, is there, you know, do you try and structure yourself to only have a certain number, or do you just wait till you feel like you're cracking? <laughs> I think it's somewhat dependent on what the organization is looking for from you. Right now, I the Coffee Cup Collective, which is uh, they're trying to be to coffee cups what Blue Bikes is for bikes in terms of reusing and sharing the sharing economy. And I reviewed a deck that they were making a proposal to uh, over the weekend, and because I find it fascinating, and I've done so many decks in my life that I was saying that this is not explaining your story. You don't have it succinct enough. You don't have the bullet points in here. It's reading like a treatise and you're never going to get anybody to read, you know, 2,500 words without breaking it out somehow to be able to show what your takeaways are because we all get so bogged down in the minutia of the things that we're working on that sometimes it takes somebody from the outside to be able to say, you know, change your opening, make it simpler, this is not visible this you haven't made it visible you haven't made it concrete enough and those kinds of things they're a lot of fun it's uh, i find that fascinating i love that it it definitely speaks to your your mindset as you said to always keep learning and on that front we're going to take a quick break learn from our sponsor and then we'll be right back here with jean to dig into her buyer journey on the marketer's (laughs) journey 
Want to create high converting experiences for your demand strategies that accelerate pipeline and drive revenue? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and Stantec are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences to drive demand. All right, Gene. So we already started to go into the second segment very naturally before when you described three different buyers that you have to get attention from. One, if I recall, was the finance leader. The second in your case was the travel manager. And the third was the business traveler. And that's, it's tricky. I I can relate to that too here at Uberflip. Sometimes we're trying to get the demand marketer on side, as well as the content marketer, as well as the CMO. A lot of marketers are, are struggling these days with how do you get different buyers or multiple buyers at the table with either the same messaging or in reality starting to personalize. What is your mindset around how segmented your messaging and your content is? Well, that's a very good question. So from an SEO perspective, some of the things that we look at, I let's just back it up a little bit. So campaigns and paid programs, we find that many people that are absolutely their hairs on fire as far as being internal travel managers, whether they're executive assistants or office managers, however they're trying to deal with travel for a team or for a company, they are very interested in Lola. Now, in 2019, we went to a number of events that targeted these office ninjas or these types of individuals. However, if you just look at Bant, they don't have the budget, they don't have the authority, they definitely have the need So they got that N in there. And then from a T standpoint, the timing can't be fast enough. But in reality, the people that pass the credit card onto us are oftentimes the finance leader within a company because we have to prove to them that by using Lola, that they'll be able to save time, save money, save everything. They are much less concerned with the implementation of a travel policy or program. Most of the time, most of our customers are going from an unmanaged environment to a managed environment. And just the sheer concept of rolling out yet another integration, another plan, another something pretty much makes the finance leader just want to scream and go running into the hills. No matter how easy we are, and they typically... This is where the the tie-in with marketing, think about how many finance leaders have a good relationship with marketing, that marketing can do an internal employee rollout or HR or people ops, because if you can make your business travelers who are typically what? typically salespeople, typically people that are going to events to be able to increase the buzz for your company, if you could make them happier, that would be a win. Finance people don't always think like that. They want to think like that, but it's not as much of a priority. So So that's a great great (laughs) example. And and honestly, I I think a lot of whether you're a business leader listening to this podcast or whether you're a marketer, you're probably nodding your head saying, I wish my life was easier or (laughs) happier. Generalizing this example to anyone who's listening though, but still using this example, 
trying to get that finance leader on side and the business traveler with the same messaging, the same value prop, near impossible, I would assume. It is totally impossible because you're talking meta and then you're talking micro, right? The business traveler, what do they care about? Am I going to get home for my kid's soccer game? Am I going to be stuck in Omaha for the weekend? You know, they they have very legitimate short-term concerns. The finance person just wants to make sure that they're going to be on budget. They want to make sure that they're going to be able to save money. Our software doesn't cost very much. It's under $10,000 a year. That's $1,000 a month. And if you could save $1,000 a month on airfare or hotels, it's a no-brainer. It's just that it is a challenge to convince that that particular audience. So taking this to the, to the level of, of just thinking of the buyer journey and mm-hmm. thinking about who you're trying to get at the plate, I, I assume in some cases you need to lead with the finance manager and other times you need to lead with the travel manager mm-hmm. inside that same company. But sometimes you probably just need to get the right message to each of them at right times of yep. that buyer journey. How do you, how do you manage that and, and maybe gain specific who is the lead versus who is just along for the ride at a later stage at you know perhaps an opportunity stage in, inside of that sales cycle. That's a that is a fantastic question, Randy. And as any marketer that's listening to this knows is that there is no one single sale. No one person in any company has the authority or the ability to be able to buy something right? It doesn't matter how much it costs. They don't have the authority and to be able to roll it out on a company-wide basis. It becomes, it's a consultation, right? It's a cooperative. It's a, it's an entire organization that has to be able to think about these types of solutions. You mentioned talking to a demand gen person, talking to a content person, talking to a, a CMO. You'd be talking to the email. You'd be talking to all these individual people and they'd all have to go, yep, 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 yep. You get one person that goes, I don't know. I'm not really sure. Then it's never going to move forward. And you could have all the right buyers. It's not, I'm not going to talk about us as a company, but let's say I had been on many a sales call with HubSpot and uh, especially at the enterprise level where I'm talking to marketing leaders. And I would, I would definitely say to the salesperson, if this marketing organization does not have a content team and if they don't have the capability to be able to write content, they're never going to be a win for HubSpot. They, they have to drink the orange Kool-Aid. They have to realize that this is, if everybody knew that it, you could just flip a switch, it would be no problem to be able to sell, but it requires work. And that's pretty much, Randy, what I'm doing right now. For the past year, we've been creating content for all these individual personas. We just started a column called Dear Yanni, which is asking very specific travel questions on a global basis in an effort to be able to get increased SEO. We're using a lot of travel policy, a lot of accounting terms to be able to, if somebody is looking for business travel, they're going to find us. We talk about policies, savings, uh, uh, travel management, a lot of different things. But the persona that is the, the biggest champion that brings us to the table are those travel managers that are losing their minds. And that those are the people that 
that have the ability to make the finance person say, you've got to take a look at this. And that's where I feel we have excellent product market fit. And I feel like it's great for the long term. And especially as we roll out internationally, because you're in Canada, you're considered international to us. And it, right. So um, the laws and the rules are very similar, but we have to make sure that you have the ability to go back and forth from Canada, whether it's Toronto to Boston, that is a different travel experience than it is from Boston to New York. So we, those are all things that we're looking at. That's constantly. very interesting. So maybe just one last question here, and, and I may be generalizing, but let's try and take this to the higher level marketing takeaway here for our listeners, which is, you know, in your example, let's suppose that you decided that the travel manager was really the key person you want to onboard. Perhaps they're the they're the leads that you need to go after. Ultimately, the you know, getting them to that MQL stage is really going to allow you to influence this finance leader at some point. How do you rally your entire organization, salespeople included, to zone in on that person when I'm sure some of them are saying, well, I'll just sell in through the finance leader. And, and again, I may be wrong. Sometimes it may be that you do need to get the finance leader. But for marketers, I think sometimes you know, we struggle to get our sales team to all target that same buyer at the right stage versus trying to skip over multiple levels. Do you see that or do you have any tricks to, to manage focus throughout the company? There are no tricks. There are no silver bullets. If there were, it's, it's just a lot of heavy lifting. So we actually have a persona, uh, uh, one sheeters that we've PDF'd and we've rolled out uh, in conjunction with our product team. I have to tell you here at Lola, we have a fantastic relationship with the product team, with the sales team, and with the customer success team. Marketing owns customer success here at Lola. And I also own the voice of the customer meeting where um, it's I'm responsible for the three reasons we won, the three reasons we lost, what are the packaging and pricing concerns that we do on a monthly basis. And this information, I have five presenters. I have the direct, the indirect, the customer success, the services team, and product marketing on one side. And I have the product management team on the other side. And this is a discussion for 90 minutes. And what is the customer asking for? What are we missing? What do we need? Why are we winning? Because so many of these things, like I needed to have this, I needed to be able to rent a you know Maserati in Boston and there weren't any cars or something like that. Those are, <laughs> those are very, very nonsensical reasons. But what we try to do here in the marketing team is to be able to take a broader brush and be able to look for themes. And month after month after month, if we're hearing the same things from our personas, then we're learning more. And everybody is learning from everybody else in those particular meetings. I love that. And it, it comes back to, I, th I think your mantra, as I'll, as I'll frame it, is, is all about learning from each other. And this has been great, Gene. I, I, I really appreciate it. If, if you've got a few minutes, we're going to keep you around after a short break and we're going to get to a little bit more about you. We've, we've learned about your career journey, the buyer journey now. We do got to know about some of your personal journeys. We'll be right back here on The Marketer's Journey. All right, Gene, we have hit on various parts of your journey, but let's talk about how you take personal time. How do you break as a busy CMO six times over now, as you said, and make sure that you, you make time for yourself, for family, for friends? How do you find that balance? Well, I have a great husband. I have an awesome husband, and he 
is really like uh, is the caboose on this train. So if I'm the engine, he's the caboose, and he makes sure that everything is uh, the trains are running on time. So I, I count that as a real blessing. I have twin 21-year-old daughters that are seniors in their college uh, years. One is majoring in math, applied mathematics at Wentworth in Boston and English at Simmons College. So she's got a double major going. And then the other one is an engineering major um, wow. at University of Massachusetts. So they're pretty smart kids and they're pretty well balanced and they're healthy. And that's all you can ever ask for. So I think what I like to do is I like to cook for relaxation. I read a lot. I read a lot of different kinds of books at all different kinds of stages. And I just try to make sure I get plenty of sleep. I like that. That's great. And, and well, now that you're working for a travel company, in essence, <laughs> you, must be, you must be at least embracing travel and trying to make it as cost-effective as possible. Where, where is somewhere fun that you've gotten away, either with your husband or you know, family you know, trips, if the kids I, will still go away with you? Oh, yeah. They still actually were going to New York City this weekend as a family. And uh, I, I love this time of year in New York City. It's brisk. I like Bryant Park, which is behind uh, the New York Public Library. It has a huge skating rink. It has all these little outdoor shops. And there's lots of little fires uh, that they, it sounds kind of bizarre, but you can go and sit and have a glass of wine and be warm and be sitting outside and watching people. I'm pretty much, I'll go anywhere. I, I actually like going to places I've been to before that uh, allow me the opportunity to revisit those things that I really liked and then learn something new. Uh, our family, uh, uh, we go every year for a week in August to New Hampshire, and it's just a nice little place to go, and I enjoy it, and I look forward, to, I honestly look forward to it every single year, <laughs> and whether you're going to a lake or whatever you're doing, it's just a ton of fun, so I just, I, I'm very lucky that I'm healthy, and everybody I know is healthy, and this is a great place to work, and I, I'm very excited about being at Lola.com. That's great. Well, Jean, thank you so much for sharing today. I, I think for a lot of people listening in, whether they're a marketer or a business leader, I think a lot of, of great takeaways in each part of this podcast from you know, focus on, on being in an environment where you learn and continue to you know, learn, not just within, but in your case, also learn from some of the advisors, uh, advisory work that you've done and, and ultimately how you're, you're thinking in such a full way about the buyer journey with so many different influencers in that stage. Some real key takeaways today. I thank you for everyone who's tuned in today and enjoying hearing about Jean's journey herself. Listen to some of the other guests that we've had on the marketer's journey over the last number of weeks and the ones to come. I thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, I'm Randy Frisch, and this is The Marketer's Journey. You've been listening to The Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts. 